Hey, welcome back again to Uncommon People, the show about you and me and everyone in between. This is a conversation that happens in podcast form, a recorded conversation for the benefit of all those who listen. This is a chance for me to sit down and talk with somebody else about their life and experiences and perspective and what they've learned in hopes that I can learn things too, whether it's about life and how to approach it for myself or just learn about them. Um, I think that's really a a valuable thing to do, just having conversation with people for the sake of getting to know them better. Uh, I hope you're into that kind of thing, whether it's just listening to it or pursuing it in your own life. This conversation happened between myself and Drew Martin. We talked about family and coffee and um, hood mentality and what that might look like and pros and cons and a whole bunch of different things. So I hope you stick around for the entirety of the conversation and glean some wisdom from it and that you are inspired to get out and have a conversation with somebody else in your life. Whether you have an agenda for it or not, I think it would be an awesome experience. So in the meanwhile, hope you enjoy listening to episode 24 of Uncommon People. So what I'm sharing, I recognize, I I believe in it and I have my reasons, but in 10 years, I will have made adjustments assuredly to whatever it is. So in the same way, like, I don't want anybody to listen to a podcast that I put out and think this is all like meant to be taken as the word of God straight from my mouth. That's not what it is. This is an opportunity for me to talk with people and two people to sit down me and somebody else and just Mm -hmm. talk through things and have a conversation it's really like that's what it is i'm introducing it to people who i ask on and say it's an interview show but more like a conversation yeah because that's what it is like obviously it's my podcast like my in air quotes I'm choosing to do this, and so I'm kind of leading that conversation. So it is a little bit of an interview. Like, I'm asking questions, but it's not – I don't have a list that I'm going through, and I'm getting everyone's opinions on the same things. I did early. Early episodes, I had a bunch of questions listed out, and I would, like, try and find opportunities to slip those in, and it felt really weird. Yeah. I feel like there's – it's, like, pretty good to have, like, a – <clears throat> like a base of like if I, if I want to get anything out of it or like there's some things I want to know about this person like these are like three questions that I just like have to know but the mm-hmm. rest of it is just kind of stems off of that like conversation will flow naturally so um and it'll yeah. be nice to actually get to because for me I feel pretty distracted when you talk to me at work and a lot of that and same thing when I talk to you at work because I'm just uh-huh. like and I know like Onyx can be a little bit more busy than airship sometimes, but a lot of times I'm just like in work mode and I'm like, what can I do to be closing right now? Like I want to like, cause in the past it's taken us like, it's been a big like workflow thing of 
you guys are taking two hours to close, two and a half hours to close. And it's like, well, we have a lot of crap to do. Yeah. But a lot of it is we're also not doing a lot of it before we close. So it's taking a lot longer. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of like now I'm always in ultra work mode. I'm like, don't take more than five minutes. Like I have to, you see those dishes over there? I could be doing those. Yeah. You know, no, I get that. <laughs> and uh, I hate it because it kind of like steals the the part of the job that I really enjoy is of just like talking to people. And mm -hmm. um, even to like when I read um, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry last year, uh -huh. it really like I've noticed in the past even two months of just how re-hurried I've gotten. Uh, I last, last year I felt like I was just walking through life at a snail's pace and I was loving it. Like it really is, um, excuse me. It really is like super helpful. And like when you, I, I remember the, the line that he uses in the book is, um, hurry is the enemy of, uh, I think intimacy with the Lord or something like that. Like hurry is the enemy of relationship or something with the Lord. And I was like, yeah, that really, cause when like you even feel it in your, in your heart, like when you rush your time with the Lord and you don't really take time to reflect and, you know, mm -hmm. just kind of think about what you're reading and you're just kind of doing it as a, cause there's a discipline to it that's rewarded and rewardable, I guess. Um, and I don't mean that as legalistic as that sounds, but mm -hmm. Um, like the discipline is applauded, but also there's more to it than discipline of like reading the word. There's reflecting on the word and, you know, letting that just kind of influence your thoughts throughout the day and all kinds of things. So anyway, all that to say, I've noticed myself getting rehurried again. And so it will be nice to get into a, like this format of like actually having a conversation with Joel, who I kind of know, but don't really know that well. And I don't have a work agenda. I don't have anything. Like I can uh -huh. just talk, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. It's a really good... I'm glad you brought that up about Scripture, too. It made me think about even just sitting down this morning. I had so many things that I kept getting up and doing because I wanted to be prepared for this just as far as all the things I need to make sure I'm recording properly. And I then have to head off to work this afternoon. So I didn't want to have to do anything to get ready for that when this is done. Yeah. And I was just scattered. And so I kept getting up from the couch and not reading. And I'd read a little bit and I'd think about something else. And my brain within the last, I feel like the last week has been on overdrive too. And it's been very distracting. I always have like music repeating in my head hmm. and different like mostly music that can be very annoying but also yeah. just different conversations and thoughts um and it's really hard for me to set them aside and just be where i am and that's what hurry feels like to me hmm. because if you're hurrying it, you're not focused on what you're doing you're focused on what you're going to be doing yeah it's I'm trying to finish this so that I can do this other thing. Yes. But then I'm not even really enjoying or, or like growing from whatever this thing is that I'm currently doing. Yep. It's, it's a very, I think it's a really important thing to learn. Generally, I don't want to say just at our time in society because it's the only time I've lived in. Yeah. Um, but 
I think it's it's an underappreciated uh, art, you might say, totally. in our in our culture. Yeah, which is why there's <clears throat> a book like the ruthless elimination of hurry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it even um, you know it was interesting to me in not only in church culture but also just culture in general of when COVID hit. It was the fr- it felt like honestly the first month of it was like. There was a lot of fear, but also a little bit of relief of like everyone just kind of exhaling a little bit and like, yes, we just get an excuse to like veg out and stay at home. We may not have toilet paper, but, you know, <laughs> like we'll figure it out. Like we have paper towels for days, <laughs> yeah. you know, we'll figure it out. And um, and I think that that was really awesome. But really, and I don't remember, you know, like there wasn't a day where it was like, oh, the switch was flipped, but it right. definitely did feel like. Once people were like, okay, like I really want to eat out and I really want to really want to do whatever, mm-hmm. um, people just kind of started getting anxious again to like, when can we do this? And, and the hurry just kind of like recrept into culture again. Right. Um, and now we're like, we're pretty comparably hurried to before COVID to now. And I mean, here, like... Arkansas is a little different than other parts of the U.S. and Definitely. the world, yeah. for sure. Yeah, but I, you know, we may not be as bad Thankfully. as Texas, yeah, <laughs> or or wherever else that's like we hate masks, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, and pretty much everything is completely normal. But uh, I think hurry has like recrept its way back into culture, and it may be even more more so than before. And I don't really know necessarily why, um, but it it definitely is already back yeah and i so even as i was mentioning earlier like the two months ago where i was kind of like dang i'm my my time with a lot of things like i'm really always just looking forward to what i'm doing next or with a few things maybe um like i need to do this in order to go do that with a free mind you know and in some ways that's like you enjoy both the things you're doing but you're prioritizing one over the other so Mm -hmm. you're enjoying one you want to enjoy one more freely than the other one. And so it just, it's the worst. Yeah. It's terrible. Cause you end up just not enjoying one of them. Mm-hmm. Even if it's something that you normally like. Yeah. I'm thinking about today going to work. I work in the evening and then I work tomorrow morning. And so if I'm not really careful and this conversation will be good to, for me to have in my head, I'm sure if I'm not careful, my thoughts are all going to be, I have to finish efficiently and get this done so that I can go to bed so that I can go to work tomorrow and it'd be good because I need to get my rest tonight so that I can make tomorrow good. But I think setting myself up is going to look much more akin to enjoying today and today's work and then being in a much probably a healthier mental place Mm -hmm. to go into my, my tomorrow and you know, maybe I'll just be more exhausted, and it'll mean I'll sleep better, and yeah, then I'll I'll you know make the most of tomorrow that way. So speaking of sleep, where where do you fall on the spectrum of sleep? Because I feel like some people that's like one of the things that they really prioritize. Me, I I if I had my way, like I know that you can't live without sleep, and <laughs> I have I've Preface. experienced I've very much experienced uh, like a time where I just there was a, like in college, like I just 
had a season where I just didn't sleep very often. Like I literally was sleeping like four hours a night yeah. or less consistently for about a month. And I got exhaustion sickness and it wrecked me. Uh, like I was pretty much dead for a day <laughs> and it was horrible. I, I didn't eat anything. could barely drink water. Like it was... It, and it ruined me. Did so. you go to the you? Did you go to a doctor or something? No. And they said you have exhaustion sickness. So that's I didn't. I haven't even heard that term before. Yeah. So, I had. I didn't go to a doctor, but I. One of my friends was telling me that that was like actually a thing, and I was like, "Oh, this makes sense." And it. And so I just kind of honestly, I I'm sure that there's probably maybe a different medical term or something for that, and maybe it's not really super. You know, uh, a medical term. I mean, I would say going like multiple days only sleeping four hours per day is probably going to produce a pretty radical result. Yeah, it totally makes sense because we have to sleep in order to function well, like and even sleep like a certain amount to function at a higher level. So it made sense to me. And it just I was like, okay, I can accept that. It's so anyway. Me, I am like the enemy of, I like, I hate it. I'm like, it just kind of, and not even in a hurried way, uh-huh. but I just really, man, there's like so many other things I could be doing, especially it, it was more the college mindset for me of like, dude, I could be playing video games right now. Like mm-hmm. I could totally be like playing zombies with my homies right now. Yeah. I could, uh, I could like study a little bit longer or I could, which, you know, studying was didn't really do much of that, but <laughs> still there was like, at the time I had like a, you know, a girlfriend that I hung out with way too much and I was like, I could be hanging out with her, you right. know, all these things. Mm-hmm. So where do you fall on that spectrum? Are you like love sleep or up, up early or? That is an interesting question because I recognize that I, hmm, I'll try and break it down. I do enjoy very much being up early but i'm not and i'll say even if i didn't necessarily sleep a lot and when i initially woke up i was really tired still once i'm up and i'm moving i have tons of energy Hmm. and then if i'm really if i'm actually tired i'll feel that at like two three in the afternoon later but especially if i have work to do if i'm going to be occupied after getting up, it doesn't matter if I'm tired, it'll go away and I'll, I'll keep that at bay for a while and yeah. then it'll come back later. But if I can keep it up, so say I don't get the, the most sleep, get up, go to work, start work at like 6.30, get out of work about two, start feeling tired like three o'clock. But if I keep pushing through that and I continue doing my day, I can still be productive and enjoy the day a great deal and then go to bed at like 10 and get up again next day at five and continue that again and i that feels like a pretty sustainable pattern for me but if i think if i do that for too long without making use of say off days to actually sleep more i think it probably takes more of a toll on me Mm. because yesterday i was feeling that the night before last, I did not sleep well, had a lot of stuff on my mind, had to be up early for work, and went to work and was just off all day. Yesterday. Hmm. Not yesterday. I was off yesterday. Wednesday. Wednesday. So it would have been Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. 
Wednesday was like probably the one of the lowest days of my work since starting, I wow. think, which is crazy. I mean, I, I know myself well enough to be able to point to why that might be. But I was thinking about it and processing while I was working. And I thought maybe all that horrible sleep I've been getting is actually affecting me more than I realize. And now I'm seeing what I'm like when I'm really tired versus just I'm kind of sleepy because I didn't get quite enough last night. Because mm. um, like I said, I, I can be fine. Even if I didn't sleep that much, I can be fine. Once I'm occupied, once I'm going, you've seen me at work. I am I am usually a ball of energy everywhere. I'm usually very social. I'm usually very proactive about talking to customers and interacting with people. And that was just not me on Wednesday. Hmm. So <clears throat> I like my sleep. And if I can get to bed early and wind down and like gradually watch my day become less energetic up until like 9 p.m. Hmm. and then go to bed, that's so that's perfect. <laughs> but at, at the same time, if I'm leading up to that, I am thinking, a lot of the time, I don't really want to go to bed, especially if my roommate is home and we're just hanging out or we're talking or somebody else is over and we're playing a video game, we're listening to music or just having drinks or something. It's really hard for me to say, no, nope, sleep, sleep's better. I, I'm going to go to bed now. Bye, guys. I'm going to go close my door and pretend like I would rather be in there than having this conversation with you. That's really hard for me. So maybe I'm kind of in the middle as far as sleep goes. I, I recognize very much that it's super important. And I also try really hard not to do anything because of FOMO. I don't want to, I don't want yeah. to feel like, <laughs> oh, I'm just, I, I don't want to miss this. Yep. This is going to impact my life. I almost asked that because I was like, <laughs> you seem like someone that, that um, you wouldn't want to miss out on, like winding down would be great. But if a friend's over or, like, there's an opportunity to go do something, like, I, I can't mess out of that. Like, I have to do that. So yeah. you'll, like, lose sleep for that. Right. Yeah, it depends. <laughs> it's definitely contextual. I think, so I worked at a bank directly before working for Airship. And I think that my time there really taught me to value my time at home hmm. because I was at work five days a week from, like, 9 to 6.30. And that's a that's a big window of time. It's a big and especially given it, it's kind of a late start too. I think eight hours is a lot or nine hours is a lot, but depending on where you place that in your day, it can feel like more. So I didn't have time to do things before work really, but I also it was already the evening, like I'm getting home six thirty, seven o'clock. Yep different days i would have to get groceries like i have to get food so i can eat at home or get gas whatever it is so i end up you know pretty occupied and i think having that job taught me to say no more to people when it comes to hanging out or doing social functions and such because i would think eh, i i this is my night to just go home and relax and i don't get that very much so, no FOMO. Like, I'm yeah. just, you know, it's not that big of a deal, especially 
being in my mid 20s and surrounded by other people in their mid 20s there's always something going on yeah so if i (laughs) i could find something to do if there's another day of the week that i think i kind of want i kind of want to be social truly yeah how how are you with fomo uh i'm i'm the worst with fomo for those who don't know fear of missing out yes is what we're talking about yes uh i'm the worst with fomo um I pretty much like, and I, I don't know if it was from, I, I wonder if there, like, I need to talk to a psychologist about that. I wonder <laughs> if there's like some deep inseated like <clears throat> trauma from my childhood of like, <clears throat> I wasn't cool. So I always missed out on these opportunities. So yeah. when I finally like got kind of cool, I was like, I got to take every opportunity. And um, so yeah. I, I think in the past few years, I've definitely gotten better about not letting FOMO grip me so much that I um, choose choose that over rest if I need it. Um, or, but I th- I think really where I'm at now because uh, I like if there was something going on, I would let myself get exhausted and then be exhausted after I like had hung out for so many nights in a row and I'm like, Oh gosh. And I I would feel like I had to like catch up on sleep. And nowadays I'm more like, I really want to be there, but I also really need to rest. And so Mm -hmm. I think a little bit of that is probably brought up around by kind of our culture a little bit too, of just this kind of like self care, um, culture, which there's a lot of healthiness to that. And there's also a lot of unhealthiness to that. Mm -hmm. Like one side of it being the, the excuse of it, of, uh, a lot of people just use it as an excuse and it's not actually self care. Like it's just more of like, I actually don't want to do that. I, but I'm going to say that it's self care or, um, or on the other side of it, just, uh, it's really kind of, um, people don't actually need it as much as they think they do, or it's just kind of become this like selfish thing. Mm -hmm. And, but anyway, I'm just giving long answers about things. That's I, what I this think, show is for. Yeah. I'm also an external <laughs> processor, so you're getting okay, like... Okay, perfect. I, I said initially that I'm like the worst with FOMO, but now I don't think I am as much. I, th- I think I'm still kind of like thinking that I'm 22, 23, and now that I'm 26, I'm like, well, I'm getting there. I, I'm I'm not, not as dumb and, as I once was when I was young. You know, I still have remnants of that, though. Yeah, I I hope to be able to recognize that in myself every year. It's just, well, I'm a little, I don't want to say less dumb because I don't want to paint it as a negative thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little wiser than I was last year. There you year. go. <laughs> every, every milestone closer to 30, I'm pretty happy about it, honestly. Yeah. How, how are you with that? You're now, like, having crossed over the, the mid, the middle point of the 20s. Yes. What what does that feel like? Um, I think there are two small things. One of them is kind of the thing that you hear people that are usually in their 40s or 50s talk about, like the fact that they feel like they're still 19 or 20 um, or 20, 22 or whatever their prime, they feel like their prime was, like they still kind of feel that age. I, I'm starting to feel a little bit of that. Not a lot, but... And then 
the the main way that I'm feeling the over 25 thing is like really just physically. Like I feel like uh, over the past few years, I'm like, man, I'm just not uh, as physically capable as I used to be. And it's <laughs> and I'm like still pretty physically capable. You can just like see such a gradual decline. Um, like I really noticed it a lot my senior year of college. Uh-huh. Like my freshman year, I was probably... I think actually my sophomore year and my junior year were like the peaks. And then my senior year, I was like leaving the gym, like playing uh, playing basketball on the rec. And I was like, I'm way more sore than I was two years ago. Like, hmm. I can't do this. Like, I used to play yeah. two, three nights a week. And then I would play one night a week. And I was like sore for three days. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I'm only 22. Like, uh, I guess I'm on the decline. And I knew some uh-huh. of that was probably a product of playing football for so long, like uh-huh. just the physical toll that it has. Right. But even now I'm like, man, my back hurts from standing for only six hours, you know, for a shift or um, something like that. But psychologically, being over 20, 25, like it was kind of weird. It's really more of like a weird phenomenon, not really anything um, it's just like, wow, I'm, I'm closer to 30 than I am 20. And I still feel, I still kind of, honestly, I, f- I feel like I'm about 22 or 23. Um, but I know that I'm older. So it's, it's just weird, uh-huh. but it doesn't really feel that different. Like I remember my birthdays after 21, like every one of them is just like, I don't really have like a, uh, progression towards anything anymore. And it's like, I mean, some people say 25, like you can rent a car. Like, oh, wow. I, I marked that off the list. I hope <laughs> like, not to have to rent a car anytime soon. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Other than that, it doesn't really feel that weird. Just those two small things. So. Yeah. I What comes to my mind is I've heard the phrase, um, day after day, everything's the same. But when you look back, or day after day, nothing seems to change, but when you look back, everything is different. Hmm. And that's how I feel if I if I try and catch hold of my progression through life on a short-term basis, it can be really hard to see growth or progress or change to feel like things are very different. But if I look at four years ago, if I think about where was I four years ago, what was I doing, what mindset was I in, man, everything is different. Or even um, I went and I visited some relatives in the Chicago area last week. That's where I grew up. And there's there's a lot. I left for a number of things that I wasn't entirely aware of. I just felt kind of stifled and like I needed to leave. And have since been able to recognize more. Um, oh, that was weird. <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> uh, growing up, like being able to look back at it now, I'm able to actually put names to more things that were not beneficial to me. Mm. And when I go back, I feel like they're all still there. So visiting my hometown is not usually the greatest experience. I value being able to see my family, and there's a certain level of obligation there, I think, as well, of 
remaining in relationship with them and actually trying to pursue that, hmm. whatever that looks like. There's, I think, a lot of complications around that um, for myself. And depending on who's listening, like it, it could be really easy and you don't think there's complications or there's a whole bunch of stuff. For me, there have been a number of things that just make it difficult for me to be back. But it did serve as an opportunity to grow more this last time or just to have a little bit of a eye-opening kind of time. Hmm. And on my way back, I think probably like on the flight, I was thinking a lot about it or when I was landing, thinking about how different my home here is now to what my life was before and reflecting on that and what a blessing it's been just how different everything is from the community that i'm around to the way that i am the mindset that i'm in or my uh, my ability to socialize is the example i use all the time because that has completely flipped around my life and the way that i do life so when I look back that way, everything does seem totally different. Hmm. And that's why I think I had a shift a couple of years ago, um, realizing I'm getting older and a lot of time it feels like I'm not doing anything. But when I look back at where I've been, I recognize things do actually change pretty profoundly. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to 30. <laughs> I'm yeah. looking forward to crossing over and being 27 soon by the time this is out i will be 27 wait when's uh, your birthday april it's april. in april april 7th wow okay yeah so currently congrats yeah thank you yeah that's legit saying happy birthday from the future oh because hey. <laughs> this so currently episodes are scheduled through um mid-april because okay. they only come out every other week okay and i have um 18 just released last monday okay so this monday they won't be one then there'll be another one and i think i have four more that are pretty much ready and scheduled and then there's a couple more in between this one okay very cool yeah oh that makes me feel so good Dang. to actually be on top of it this time <laughs> yeah uh yeah the first time i was doing this i I feel like for half of the episodes, I didn't even know who I was going to be recording with until week of. And then I'd record and I'd take photos and I'd put it together and I'd work on all of it and release it just in time to meet that deadline. Yeah. Um, which is why I ended up taking a break, <laughs> being yeah. very tired of it. But anyway, I'm looking forward to aging. Heck yeah. Not necessarily physically. I feel like that's kind of a pain. <laughs> yeah. I'll like, if my knee will move a certain way that it should yeah. move. <laughs> and I think, oh no, I'm only 26. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a long way to go still. Yes. That freaks me out too, because like, even with, a, you know, like being about to be married, like, I'm like, crap. We're looking at three, uh, I'm, we're saying this, and uh, a lot of people are just kind of laughing at us. Um, we're saying like, oh, yeah, we want to wait three to five years to have kids. And obviously there's some definite factors that we, you know, like obviously we want to be financially ready and things like that. But 
uh, I'm like, man, if we wait three to five years, like she's a lot younger. She's 20 or she just turned 23. And so not a lot younger, just a couple years, but it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but even I'm like, shoot, I might be 29, 30 when I'm a dad, like, are my knees going to be able to handle this? Like, is my back going to be able to handle this? Like, am I, she's going to be like having a belly, like, oh, my lower back is, ba-. I'm like, honey, I'm right there with you. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's always like, hmm, I hope, Lord, <laughs> I'm going to need strength in this area, please. Yeah. I mean, I, I immediately can think of a couple that I know who, felt that way they thought we're gonna wait a while to have kids because there are things we want to do as just a married couple and they're still doing that so i want to offer that as an encouragement to you and maybe to anybody who's listening like don't let people steamroll over your plans or your ideas Uh, yeah. yeah they could be correct in that something happens and you end up having kids sooner than you think but i really don't like when Almost as a way of offering like n- unasked for advice, mm. people yeah. will say things like, "Oh yeah, that's what I was saying when I got yes, married." Totally, and assuming that that means it'll it'll be the same for for whoever they're talking to. Um, like I was talking to somebody recently um, about age and marriage. And knowing a lot of people who are young and married and who chose not to take years to make that decision. And his comment was something along the lines of, yeah, just wait till they're 30 or wait till they're whatever age. Implying that they may seem a certain way now, but let them get a little older and I know what it'll be like. And I think that's unfortunate because it's it's understandable that people would have that perspective because that is what we see in our culture hmm. a lot of the time. We see people making rash decisions and not thinking them through or not being wise in it and then having that change of heart or having a realization or, or just really shifting around as they get older and think about things that they should have thought about sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think that means we all have to follow that route. I, I know that's not what it means. Like we, we have a lot of say in our own lives and, um, I do think we can have a good measure of wisdom and ability in, our early 20s to make decisions that we don't regret at 30. Totally. You know, I, 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 I don't agree. think you have to be waste your time in college and waste your early 20s and think it's awesome. And then you get to 30 and you're like, oh, man, I didn't do anything right. Yeah. You can choose to grow up a little faster. Totally. And I'm really, really happy to be around a lot of people who have done that. Yeah. What do you have... I, I guess I know a little bit about it. I've heard some yeah. things, but I'm assuming you have a, a good community around you as well. Yeah, I do have a pretty good community. Um, 
Uh, a lot of that starts with one of my roommates. Um, not saying that the other is <laughs> inadequate, but uh, I just know one of them a lot better than I do the other one. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that was because of what I did last year. But uh, this guy has, he's been, like, I've known who he was since probably like 28 or 2017. I've probably known who he was and didn't really know him or get to like really talk to him until like later 2018, early 2019 probably. And then uh, this last year we worked together at, uh, I did a residency at Fellowship or the church in the area. Mm -hmm. And um, he was my, my like team lead. And so we got a lot of time to just, like hang out together and do ministry together. And, um, and he like has become a big piece of that community. Uh, and now we live together, which is really cool. And, Mm -hmm. uh, they're both guys that I used to work at camp with, uh, or they've both worked at camp before. Um, we, uh, have all worked their permanent staff in, uh, in some capacity. And, um, which has been cool because we all have this like shared experience that like, you know, they can talk about what they're going. This is like, yeah, I've been there. Like, or yeah, like, mm-hmm. so it's, it's uh, a good community. I have a couple of people from church that I'm pretty connected with and he, both of my roommates and that couple. And then now my fiance, we are all kind of like in our own little community group, which has been good. And they're all very, very wise people, um, which has been great because, um, the married couple has been really nice because Abigail and I have just, we don't really ask them a lot of marriage questions. We just kind of observe their marriage. And it's like, mm-hmm. there are some things that they're just like funny people. And so there's like, Jimmy's like, uh, he's just a, a guy that we're like, man, he just like has some funny quirks, but like, there's still a lot to learn from him. Uh-huh. And, um, and then Bethany is just like one of the most loving and caring and really like, slow to speak people that I've ever met. Like she's mm-hmm. just, and so there's a lot for Abigail and I to, to glean from that and to observe from that. And then, um, you know, they're, they're just a great community. Uh, other than that, even not to be in like a somber note, but that has been like an area that I've kind of struggled with for the past few years, which I think a lot of people, a lot of young people do struggle with, uh, community in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, in their early twenties, especially if they're single, uh, and married couples do too. Cause it's just like kind of hard to find people that you all, that you click with, you know? Yeah. But, um, especially like moving to a new place, like the, like I moved from, I lived in, in Van Buren and then I moved to basically like the opposite part of the state, uh, in Southwest Arkansas. And then now I live in Northwest Arkansas. So I just kind of like did the, okay, you know, just back and forth, back and forth. And, um, Southwest Arkansas is like, it, it's, I've there's it's nothing, different. <laughs> there's nothing to do there. It's terrible. Um, it, it was, it's kind of one of those things where like you become so close to people because there's nothing to do. So you just go do dumb stuff together. Like, uh-huh. you, like you go to Walmart together and you go to a restaurant together or you go, you play hostage together or something like mm-hmm. that. Have you ever played hostage? No, I've heard about it recently. It's very fun. It was much more fun in college. The appeal of it has definitely like left. I'm like, I yeah. want to drive around a big city and like try and find you. Like it's more fun when you have like fields <laughs> around yeah. and you're yeah. just like, I have no idea where I am. Like, uh-huh. You know? So, um, but anyway, community is 
when I moved here, it was tough just being in your 20s, not really knowing, like trying to find a church and then like kind of finding a church. But there's not a lot of like, weirdly enough, there wasn't a a ton of like young people. Um, there, There was a small group of young people, but it was just so anyway, long story short, uh, I do have a good community now, but it's taken a long, long way to get there. Mm-hmm. So, Well, let's back up then and talk about kind of how you've got to here. Because okay. you said you grew up in Van Buren. Where is that exactly? Is that southeast it Arkansas? Is, no, Van Buren is actually, do you know where Fort Smith is? Yes. It is basically an hour south of here. but Oh, okay, um, okay. So it's like... It's like the right next to Fort Smith. It's like ten minutes from Fort Smith. Okay, so you grew up there until until when? Until eighteen, uh, okay. until I left for college. And kind of funny story about how I chose my college. Like I pretty much didn't know that I was going to college. Um, there was a lot of there was a lot of lack of communication. Lots of factors in my story of like how it all happened. But mm-hmm. um, I wanted. I had a at that point had a great desire to play football in college and really thought that I like a little bit of it was like, I don't want to say pride, but just, uh, ignorance and a little bit of arrogance mixed together of like Mm -hmm. ignorance of not knowing how hard it would be. Like my dream as a kid was to go to the NFL. Right. And I was like, they're like, I can do that, you know? Uh And, um, and then, and I was like, Van Buren was like our, our football team. Like we went one and nine my senior year. So it was, it was a pretty rough senior year, but <laughs> I had a fairly good year for a, a failing team. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, man, maybe this, like, maybe I can do something. And so I was, I didn't really get offered cause we weren't winning or anything. Right. And also I wasn't very good. That's where the arrogance part comes in. And, uh, the ignorance of also not knowing how good other people were. Cause I was, mm-hmm. Other than playing like people in Bentonville and Fayetteville and just being like, they're just ridiculous. Um, so I um, I did, my coach was like connecting me with a couple of coaches from some D2 schools and a couple of them were in Arkansas and one of them was Henderson State and I was like, cool. And he's like, hey, we'll invite you down for a visit. And so I went there and... What is a D2 school? It is Division Two. Division Two. Yes. So there's Division One, Two, and Three, and then there's even lower. I guess I don't know if it's like brackets or calibers, but so Division One is good. Division One. Division One is, is good. Is the best. That's like pre NFL or pre college. Yeah. Well, it is Division One is kind of like the top caliber of college sports. Okay. And then Division Two is kind of uh, kind of like the next caliber. Division Three. And so on and yeah. so forth. And then so you, you were recommended to a division two school. Division two, yes. Okay. And that's usually like people who have who are pretty good who could maybe go D one, but mm-hmm. or division one, but uh, just maybe not don't have the skill. Like there there have been some cool stories of division two players that end up in the NFL and excelling. Uh-huh. But just uh, need some development. Exactly. But anyway, uh, I was not very good, but I went down for a visit. And, um, uh, it was called, it was kind of like a orientation day, which I thought it was just a tour of the school. And so there, there, I was under <laughs> a very different impression of yeah. what was happening. And so I got done with the tour and I told my mom, I was like, I want to do this on my own. Like it was like three hour drive and it was kind of like me adulting, you know, uh-huh. part yeah. one. 
and uh, drove down there, did the whole thing. And at the end of the at the end of the um, the tour, they ran everybody through and gave them their student IDs. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to Henderson. <laughs> and wow. so I just got myself prepared and went to school and <clears throat> yeah, um, was at Henderson for four years, played one year of football, was pretty, pretty burnt out on football after my first year. It was, really? it's a job in college. I, oh man, I bet. It's a lot. And, um, so I was pretty burnt out, and then after that, I had a lot more time in college until I got a job, but um, spent four years in Arkadelphia, and it was it was honestly awesome. I really love my time in Arkadelphia. Uh, again, the town was pretty boring. So is that was that a move then? It was college in uh, Henderson, Henderson College. Is that in Arkadelphia? It is in Arkadelphia. Okay. It's right next to Washita Baptist. Okay. So if you've heard of that. Yes, I have heard of that. It's literally across the street. Oh, okay. So it's wow. it's kind of like its own fun little rivalry, uh-huh. which is cool. Okay. Uh, but yeah, uh, four years there was in Arkadelphia, which is southwest Arkansas. And then um, I my junior year, I worked at Camp War Eagle here in northwest Arkansas as a counselor. And the next year, so my senior year, um, I was kind of like, I don't really know what I'm going to do. And they called me at pretty close to the end of the year. And they were like, hey, would you like to be top staff? Which is just kind of like a level up from a counselor. Like you're now leading counselors to do their job well. And then also you have a couple more responsibilities. And I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I guess I'll figure it out after the summer. And then working that summer, um, they uh, they pulled me aside and they were like, hey, we actually have a full-time spot open. And so that's what brought me fully to the area is I got offered okay. a full-time job at camp and gotcha. worked there for two years. Do you know Matt Vaughn? I do know yeah. Matt Vaughn. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. And I know his wife. Uh-huh. Um, she was hired the same year that I was. Okay. And so um, it, was, it was a cool time because there was a lot of us that were all brought on at the same time. So it was kind of like a new, like there was eight of us, I think, that were all brought on at the same time. So it was like a turnover year for staff. So we were all kind of bonded by, uh-huh. we love camp and we're all coming on at the same time. Yeah, new team. Which was cool. So yeah, Matt um, Matt is a great dude. And yeah. I remember you saying that you knew him. Yeah. He's, he's incredible. How do you know him again? Because... I went to a church called The Grove when I first moved here, and Matt came on as that's right the new uh, youth pastor. Um, I don't know what year it would have been, like 2018 or 19? Yeah, I think 19. Yeah. Um, and so I like worked underneath him as one of the youth leaders Okay, and got so to cool. know him and Caitlin a little bit. You guys seem like very similar. Like, do, do you and him, like... Do you have uh, very similar interests? Are y'all like pretty alike, or? Uh, I don't know. Matt's way more outdoorsy than I am. Okay. Um, I didn't get to hang out with him outside of church very much. Okay. Matt had what I very much respected as way a way better youth energy <laughs> yes. that i had <laughs> he is a very lively guy yeah. <laughs> he was so like, made him great at camp yes also what makes him great as a youth pastor absolutely yeah 
That's funny. So you were so that's what that zigzag was. So you grew yes. up in Van Buren until eighteen, moved to Arkadelphia and was in school till twenty one, twenty two? No, until uh twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Okay, yeah. And then up to here, this area. Up to Rogers, as, yeah. Uh, staff with War Eagle. Okay. Yep. Wow. So did you have uh so is your family then in Van Buren or what does family look like for you? Family is very spread out. Okay. Um, most of my family is in Missouri, um, around the St. Louis area. So they're kind of all just suburbs of St. Louis. Okay. Um, and my mom, and so my dad is, uh, he was from Illinois and grew up in Illinois. And I, I don't actually know where, uh, but there's a, there's a whole another long story. But long story short, he was, he was like 26 years older than my mom when they got married. Oh, wow. And it's kind of a scandalous story. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, and I, the crazy thing is, too, just um, not to divert conversation completely, but the, the shame and the guilt that my mom felt for the whole thing, because I didn't even really know the whole story. And there's still some... Um, some windows of it that I don't fully know or I have like a picture of it, but I don't have full clarity on it of, um, what fully happened. But my, my mom didn't tell me that until about two and a half years ago. Uh, it was at Thanksgiving, like two, maybe three years ago now. But I, uh, it also on a similar note, I was like, man, I wanted to be intentional with people. And I was kind of learning that at the time and, um, and being vulnerable and honest and, I was like, you know, I've pretty much only known my mom as like a caretaker and I've never really asked my mom, like, how are you? Like, you know, like, are you, mm-hmm. are you doing okay right now? Like, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, I should totally do that. And that kind of opened the door for that conversation. I was like, mom, can I ask you about that? And she finally told me and a lot of it, my mom was kind of the parent that, uh, didn't tell me anything to, you know, quote unquote, protect me. And, I, I'm a product of that. And there are some things that I I don't want to say I resented, but I didn't really like about that because she was the kind of mom that said, I, um, because I said so, she would say that. And I I was like, mom, like, I don't understand. Just explain it to Uh me. Like I will, you know, maybe I would have been just as much of a, just as annoyed by it. But, um, yeah. So, okay. So your family's, family's kind of spread out all over. Yeah, they're Missouri area. My mom is the only only one in Van Buren, and then I have a half brother that lives on the border of uh, Arkansas and Oklahoma, which is really only about fifteen minutes from Van Buren. So okay, gotcha. How do you feel? So did you have you spent much time then in the St. Louis or Missouri area? Uh, I mean. I don't want to say much time. Like it's pretty much just been like a holiday spot. Okay. We would gotcha. When I was a kid, we would visit uh, pretty much every Christmas and Thanksgiving. And so, you know, I've I've seen the sightseeing things. I've uh-huh. actually never been in the Arch. I've been to St. Louis like yeah. nine, <laughs> nine plus twenty. To, I don't know twenty times maybe. And I've never been in the Arch. Uh, the one time we went to go to the Arch, it was too windy, and I was like, "You gotta be kidding me!" <laughs> like they're like, "It might blow over, so we're not letting people up yeah. today." That kind of thing. Yeah, it's just like I think the so it will actually you yeah can it feel does the it does move it does yeah. move a lot which I was <laughs> I think until a few years ago I wasn't aware of like how much tall buildings really move mm-hmm. uh, and how much they like the load 
capacity and like how like how they figure how the top of the building moves as compared to the bottom right and I, that's pretty fascinating yeah but yeah i think we probably try not to think about it very much yeah for I know. people who spend a lot of time in them especially mm-hmm. yeah i don't know much about that at all i wonder if people in new york like working on very top like or even just big cities yeah. who work in like very tall buildings like if yeah. they feel that and they're like oh yeah it's just whatever or if they're like yeah no i'm definitely afraid of it <laughs> yeah man but but yeah so family family yeah That's family can be is. interesting so you'd have what what's the sibling situation you said you have a half brother i have technically six half siblings okay um i have two no, no no four brothers and two sisters and they are all old enough to be my parents okay it's very weird so uh so was there kind of like an only child kind of feeling for you most of your growing up? Yeah, I grew up as an only child. Okay. Um, my brother, my, the youngest brother or the youngest sibling closest in age to me is 32 years older than me. Wow. Um, and so like my parents, my, my dad was like 46 and my mom was 20 when they got married, mm-hmm. but it took them 18 years to have me. And I, I wow. think they were trying the whole time. Uh-huh. I think so. Man. Uh, that's, again, one of those things that I'm not totally clear on, but it, it seems it seemed to be the thing. Yeah. And so my dad was pretty old. Uh, and all, all of my siblings, they had been grown up and been adults for a long time for, yeah. uh, before I had entered the world. <laughs> uh-huh. So. Wow, that's really interesting. Because there is, a, I consider, a, it pretty significant spread as far as ages go in my family but not uncommon for people with a lot of kids Mm -hmm. i'm one of six and my eldest sibling is i think 37 well something like that um but that still means like we've both been in our adult years for a little while it's just that he was there obviously a lot longer than i was totally or have been that's interesting yeah Family, family is very interesting. Yeah, there I I always have uh, like if there's ever like two truths and a lie like or a get to know you situation like most people don't ever expect me to have like oh yeah I have six half siblings or uh, uh-huh. or even if I add another to that like I'm the youngest sibling by 32 years they're like what mm-hmm. like, yeah no no way and I'm like yeah way yeah <laughs> you know. So did that create any kind of, like, was there a lot of motivation for you to want to leave Van Buren at 18 and actually start moving away and seeing what other things were like? Uh, I think retrospectively, yes. Um, At the time, I didn't really necessarily feel that because I think that was all I knew. Mm -hmm. And that, I don't know, that was just kind of like my my safe space safe space. Um, but now that I'm older, I look, I'm, I don't know how, like kind of what you mentioned, like when you go back to Chicago and you just kind of have like there, there's the people there and you did the mindset kind of, I'm the same way. Like every time I go back to Van Buren, I'm just, I feel like I'm back in high school again. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like all of the, I, I wasn't really an anxious person or anything, but all of the like anxieties and things that I was feeling at, 18, 17, 16, kind of just all come back the longer mm-hmm. I'm there. 
And even just like being in my mom's place, I'm just like, I just don't want to like, I don't think anybody enjoys going back to their parents' house for like an extended period of time, but even like more than one or two days, I'm just like, Ugh, I yeah. just don't feel like I can function well. And I don't like kind of what you're saying. Like it, it is so much has changed looking mm-hmm. back in the past few years. And a lot of that has been because I've been able to build my own space and healthy rhythms and yeah. in, you know, here in Northwest Arkansas. Yeah. I think especially like obviously childhood is such a formative time and it forms a lot of who we are as adults, but then, but from 18 or whenever you first kind of leave the nest, so to speak into twenties, so much of adult life and what you want your life to look like starts forming, it seems. And so going back for me, going back to where I grew up, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like home because yeah. I've made home somewhere else. Yes. So going back is a, is, can be a really stark contrast. Yeah. What has, was that an intentional thought process for you when you moved here of, as an adult, I'm, I'm starting my life here and building what home looks like for me? Um. I don't think I ever had that intentional of a thought thought process about mm-hmm. it, but that um, I think that's one of those things that you just maybe a lot of people maybe I don't know maybe I'm weird in this one, but maybe a lot of people don't think that super intentionally, and a lot of people that I've heard that have had traumatic upbringings, and I'm not saying you're one of those people, but um, there is like kind of a more I I feel from them there's more of an intentionality of like I'm so ready to start new or there's Mm -hmm. something that they kind of wanted maybe escape from or just like start new it's just like I want to build home somewhere else so I can kind of just get a get a clean slate and yeah fresh start and there's just something that's like freeing about that yeah yeah for sure I I can relate to that (laughs) not to say anything about it how traumatic or otherwise my my upbringing was. We don't need to get into that because my mom might be listening. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> um, dude, this was a good cup of coffee. By Glad the way. you enjoyed it. Yeah, I I started noticing like halfway through. I was like, hmm, there's a lot of citrusy notes in this. Yes. I, I enjoy this. It, so it is good. We can talk about coffee a little bit. Let's talk. Let's about diverge. <laughs> so you you and I both work for. Probably the two largest coffee shops in Northwest Arkansas. I agree. Yes. But you walk me through your coffee journey because you're way more into it than I am. But I think from what I'm hearing timing wise, we probably both kind of started entering into that world at a similar point. Yes. Um, what, what was that like for you? What did, what did you think of coffee growing up? Yeah. And how different is it now? Uh, I've got a lot of funny stories about that. Um, coffee growing up, it was, it was terrible. I hated it. Uh, it was kind of one of those things that as I started getting older, like maybe 14, 15, I was like, if there's coffee offered, like maybe if they have like, if they have the French vanilla creamer, like I'm going to go for it and just like try to enjoy it. Uh Yeah. 
Um, and it was like, I could sweeten it up enough to enjoy it. And it's like, okay, this isn't like too bad, but I don't get the hype. Like, yeah. why are these, how do these men drink this black? Like it just yeah. tastes like this. I put a lot of honey in my <laughs> coffee growing up. Yeah. It's any, a lot of people are still in that place of like, mm-hmm. as sweet as I can get it is the only way I can drink it or as creamy or, you know, whatever, whatever way they have to doctor it. Um, I hated it. It was like, what is this black vial liquid? <laughs> it's terrible. Um, and I, I don't know why, you, you know, I think it's very funny, like psychologically how there are like moments in your life where you don't, it wasn't anything super significant, but you just remember vividly everything about it. And I don't know why this is one of those things. Maybe it's just like the subconscious coffee thing. But, uh-huh. uh, when I was like 17 or 18, I really, uh, I remember going to this, um, this like men's conference thing. They had this like uh, guest speaker. It was with my church and a lot of men that I respected a lot. And they were like, you should come. And I was like, okay, cool. And um, they were serving, it was like in a barn and everything. And they were just had like a bunch of AirPods of like black coffee. And mm-hmm. um, I was like, you know what? I'm going to muscle up and I'm just going to drink it. <laughs> I'm going to make myself enjoy this. And I remember by the end of it, I was like, I don't love it, but I can kind of see it. And I think that was my first experience with when you hear uh, people saying like your taste buds change or like you uh, learn to like the flavor. Like people tell you that with, with alcohol, like beers, like a lot of people, it's you acquire taste. taste. Exactly. Yeah. Coffee is the same way. Like you, you don't necessarily love it at first. And then when you have something that like really changes what you've known about it, it that is usually where the breaking point is. And so mm-hmm. that was like that breaking point. Fast forwarding to college, uh, we had a Starbucks on campus and I drank vanilla lattes religiously. Yeah. Uh, oh, I yeah. Just loved them. I thought they were so good. And I was like, man, there's like a lot of coffee flavor in here and it's still like sweet though. And like these are good. And um, and that was pretty much my coffee experience. And then I I really kind of had a desire to to drink black coffee and I did drink black coffee occasionally throughout college, but it was more just lattes and stuff. And then when I worked at camp the first time or the second, actually it was my second summer. I met this guy named Matt Toomer and uh, he said, um, or I, I was telling him, I was like, yeah, I really like black coffee. And he, he's been working at Onyx for about six years. I work with him now, which is kind of cool okay. in retrospect. But I met him. We were just working at camp that summer. And he was like, what kind of black coffee do you like? And I was like, oh, I've been drinking uh, Starbucks Blonde Roast. And he's like, oh, that's crap. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, so when the new Onyx opened up, he was like, hey, we're going to go to this Onyx and uh, – I'm gonna buy some pour overs and we're just gonna we're gonna taste them. I was like, this sounds awesome. So and that really like opened the floodgates of like, wow, coffee can be crazy good. And I didn't really realize that. Like I remember uh one of them was at like a Kenyan coffee, and of all the coffees that we tasted, I know some of them were good, but I just remember the one that tasted like tomato juice. Because hmm. it was like a lot of Kenyan coffees tend to be like pretty like vegetal and uh, kind of smell like, I don't know, smell weird or just have that. A lot of people don't like them. Yeah. But, <clears throat> but it's kind of like you you need to see that other extreme, especially coming from very traditional 
um, like, uh, I don't know if you'd call it second wave, but like the things our parents would have grown up drinking. Yes. Very traditional, dark, roasted coffee. Yeah. Um, when you get to taste that other side of it, that extreme that tastes like fruit or vegetables, mm-hmm. which is what my experience was when I first tried Onyx. I was like, this tastes like a garden salad or something. This is weird. <laughs> and I didn't like it. Yeah. But it, it opened my eyes to how different coffee can be Yes, as, as a plant product, essentially. Totally. Yeah. Um, so that was the turning point in in the coffee world okay. experience for me and from that point on i pretty much started buying onyx coffee and started uh like at when i let's see i thought pour overs was the coolest thing ever i was like what and the first time i heard of it i was like what is a pour over like uh why why do this like how how <laughs> you know like yeah. It just didn't make any sense to me. And, and so uh, I started learning a l- very small amount about it and bought my own pour-over set. Um, Let's briefly explain. I'm going to have you briefly explain. Okay. For anybody who's listening who's not real into coffee, what is a pour-over and why why would you choose it? Yeah. So as a in contrast to a coffee pot, it is, what a coffee pot does is it pours water over coffee beans or ground coffee beans, and then you get your awesome coffee. And basically a pour over is pouring that water with a kettle in a specific way over the coffee beans. Um, and you can, the positives of pour over versus like a coffee pot is if you do that, you will probably be able to taste more of the coffee versus a coffee pot, which um, which a coffee pot tends to have a little bit more body to the cup and a pour over, you might have, you can still have body in the cup, but you might be able to taste a little bit better because it's less coffee all in a big, you know, uh, big coffee filter and you have a smaller amount of coffee. And so it's a, it's a great way. It's a, a fresh single cup of coffee. Fresh single cup of coffee. Yeah. Thank you for dumbing that down because I did terribly at that. I mean, it can be really hard too when you're used to being around other coffee people and yes. using all the coffee terms. Yes. To yeah. Yeah. Sometimes like I'm really good at that, and then other times I'm like, I I know I've just talked for five minutes like to a customer or something. Uh-huh. Like I've just told you a lot of information that you didn't need to know. This is a smaller like a single cup of coffee. It, yeah, so that's yeah. pretty much what it is. Yeah. Anyway, you st- you started buying Onyx and making pour overs at home. Yes, started making pour overs at home. Um, I was buying. Um, so for any of you who don't know this, a lot of the coffee that you buy at the store, they are blends of different coffees. So there are coffee plants. And they blend coffee from all different places all into one to either get a flavor profile or um, or something of the sorts. And there are also single origin, which means all the beans come from the same place. Uh, so if there's a specific coffee farm in Guatemala, all of the beans will come from that place. And that just means that you'll get a u- more uniform flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that time, I was just, I had no idea what that was. I was just brewing up blends and I was like, man, these taste way better than anything I've ever had, but they taste really inconsistent and I had no idea why. Uh, and that all changed a lot when I got a scale. 
um, a lot of people will use a certain amount of coffee beans to a certain amount of water to get a repeatable cup of coffee. And so that's what I started doing. And I pretty much left it at that for a couple of years. I thought I was like at the peak of the coffee game. I was like, man, this is so cool. And, you know, a lot of people referred to me as like, oh, you're the the coffee snob of the group. And Uh um, I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And I I just thought it was cool. And, you know, a little bit prideful about it. Like, yeah, this is cool. And uh, pretty casually just learned about coffee. Yeah. Uh, I would mm-hmm. ask baristas questions. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even really know how to ask questions. I was just kind of like, yeah, what are you doing versus what am I doing? And um, yeah, started there. And so that probably was around the same time that we both got into coffee because that was probably 2018 or tw- no, it was 2019. So I've been yeah. in coffee for about three, into coffee for about three years yeah per se uh-huh yeah i i started working at starbucks in 2017 and which is when i moved here so moved here started working at starbucks also immediately simultaneously got uh plugged in with a lot of people who um knew more about coffee and who had at the very least, living in Northwest Arkansas, some experience of Onyx or were friends with people who worked at Onyx. Yes. And so I started, like, you move here and, like, people start mentioning Onyx. Yep. <laughs> if you're a coffee person, <laughs> I, I remember having um, a friend who lived in Dallas come up and visit me really impromptu for, like, an evening. And he thought, he told me, he's like, dude, you have Onyx up there. I got to come try that out while I'm here. And I'm like, what? Yeah. You're, gonna, you're thinking of a specific <laughs> coffee shop that we have here when you live in another state? Like, what's that about? That was so strange to me. Yeah. Um, and now it's pretty just matter of course think, oh, yeah, the team just got back from Milan to do a championship. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's that level of kind of coffee it's it's that part of the coffee world people who are that invested in it exactly and so i started working at starbucks and was then exposed to all this other stuff and started again like kind of like you experimenting more with i got um a chemex at home and i think i don't think i had a kalita at home at the time but some sort of pour over i think i bought a molita Okay. From yeah. Starbucks and would use that at home for my coffee. But gradually just realized more and more there's lots of other coffee options and uh-huh. it does change a lot. Starbucks is an interesting environment because they do a lot of stuff really well. I, I mm-hmm. absolutely respect Starbucks and yeah, I do too. Um, they are not trying to be Onyx or something else. They're really good at the things that they want to be good at. And it just so happens that a lot of that is just marketing and making a lot of money. Yeah. Um, But I remember my first weird coffee tasting experience being I was already a regular at Greg Street Onyx. Okay. And would go in there, talk to the baristas. Sarah Craig worked there at the time. And I remember I was sitting at one of the little square tables 
reading or something. And Sarah came over with a shot of espresso and was like, oh, you got to try this. This is the single ocean we have right now. And I remember mm. sipping it and just being like, holy cow, yeah. this tastes like wine. It's so flavorful and so fruity and so different yes. a coffee experience. And I look back at that moment as, as a moment of recognizing coffee can be so many different things. Hmm. And I really appreciate that because now I look at it much like I look at cooking or mm -hmm. even within the yeah. same food category or like the same, um, I mean, shoot, it's the difference between like a steak that's been not cooked very well and is maybe well done or something yeah. and going to a, a proper chef or just having somebody who knows what he's doing cook you one and you actually taste so much of that. But I think it's even more um, significant than that because you're dealing with plants that are growing in different areas of the world and because of that are taking on different flavor characteristics and... Yeah there's honestly a great deal to distinguish between one or the other. Mm -hmm. And that's why I really enjoy really weird coffees because yeah. it, it really, it doesn't feel like the same thing all mm -hmm. the time. Yeah. I think that's one of the, one of the cooler aspects of the, this kind of like third wave coffee, um, which honestly, you know, even knowing as much as I know, I know that there is kind of, so the waves of coffee, I know that there is kind of like the kind of a little bit of it is due to what we knew about coffee and a little bit of it is like the quality. Um, but other than that, I don't know too much more, but I know that like a specialty coffee shop is usually like a third wave coffee shop. Yeah. And so one thing I really enjoy about that is the, um, like in the farming world, it is a lot of it is wanting to respect the farmers for what they do well and pay them well, like above fair trade minimum and um, like, you know, like actually paying them for what they do. You know, they, yeah. they work really hard. And if they have a hard year of crops, like that really affects the coffee that they can sell. And, you know, so it, it is cool to... Um, like if you kind of what you're saying again about the region, like you can really taste different characteristics of coffees, like a Colombian coffee is going to taste completely different from, um, from a coffee from Ethiopia or from Kenya or something like that. And so I think that aspect of it is really cool. And I, I very much agree with you. It's, it's just like a coffee that's made well or a coffee that's processed well, you'll really taste that in the coffee cup. Like, and things are crazy now. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, like I agree with you. Starbucks, like they do what they do well. Like, and I, I still, for a while I was like, uh, kind of in this snobbish mindset of like, oh, they don't do coffee like we do. They steam their milk differently. And then I was like, well, why am I like, they still, like, I would still drink a cup of coffee from them. You know, maybe not black coffee. I'm a little, that's one of my areas that, I, like, I think that's my favorite area. So I'm like, if I'm yeah. going to drink black coffee, I want to drink really good coffee. Yeah, but, you want to enjoy it. Yeah, but yeah. a latte or, like, they do a lot of things so well. Like, uh, and they, they do, their technique is so different from what you and I use at Airship or Onyx mm -hmm. that it's like, even though this is different, I can appreciate it because it's it's not, like, 
a comparison game because they, they just do things in totally different ways. Yeah. And the part of that that I don't like is just they do it in different ways, but they make an effort to make it seem like the way. Yeah. Which can be unfortunate for those of us who maybe care more about coffee and want to help people see how much broader of a world that can be when they're used to being in a certain box that feels um, pretty small and then not knowing how to experience these other things. I think probably a lot of different people can relate to um, having an appreciation for something and going really deep into it, but having a friend or just an acquaintance of some sort who you interact with who's just like touching the surface of it and thinks it's so cool and you want to invite them in to see all this other stuff, but maybe the way they've taught been taught to think about it, they only see that little box and it can feel mm-hmm. kind of frustrating. Yeah, um, totally. So that's kind of, that's my, my primary gripe with Starbucks is uh, kind of changing the language or creating a box that they put all of the coffee world into that most people are used to. So most people think of it that way. Like you've probably, yeah. probably less at Onyx because I think people know kind of where they're going when they go there. But you've experienced somebody wanting a caramel macchiato uh, yes. and ordering a <laughs> macchiato. Yes. And it's nothing, there's no similarity. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, totally. Um, so even so even so we can talk about that too just like really briefly um about the different drink names like yeah. the the origin of a lot of the drinks are weirdly enough like italian or i think italian is like where a lot of them originate yeah. uh-huh. um but or just european in general and like a macchiato tra- like a traditional style macchiato is just 2 ounces of espresso with a little tiny bit of dabbled, you know, steamed milk on top. And, but Starbucks has the caramel macchiato, which is, uh, you know, it's like a 18 or 20 ounce drink. That's like maybe, uh, two ounces of espresso and like 17 ounces of milk and like a bunch of caramel. Like there's a lot of sweetener and things in it. And Uh again, not to dog that, but that, and even in another minor note, um, the frustration for the coffee world of people ordering drinks for such a long time, like people who are regulars at a certain place and then they move to a new place or just go to a new place and they don't know how to order coffee Mm -hmm. at a new place. And that honestly is a first world problem for sure, but it's also a a frustration. And uh, I think a lot of people in the coffee industry in general would love that to change. Yeah. So going to any coffee shop if you order a a latte or if you order a cappuccino it will all be uniform and i don't know if starbucks would be willing to change their ways or whatever and maybe this is you know it it doesn't even have to be that level kind of thing but it's like this is this is what we deal with you know yeah and yep I think I always think about too, like, why are you ordering like you would order at Starbucks in a coffee place that isn't Starbucks? Like just from a logical standpoint, like 
I know you're, maybe that's what your reference point is. And so you're trying to see if we can like, you know, like we're literally having to be barista translators. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, can, it can be having worked for Starbucks. It can be kind of a fun thing for me. Come people then coming into a third wave shop and ordering something or either as they would at Starbucks or saying, so I know this is because they're usually a little bit embarrassed. I know this is probably not right, but I usually get this thing from Starbucks and me being able to bridge that gap and explain, yes. hey, yeah, so I actually did work there, too. So what this was, for instance, caramel macchiato, the way Starbucks does it, it's a vanilla latte with caramel drizzle on it. So we don't have caramel drizzle, but I can totally make you a vanilla latte. Um, and just kind of seeing the the discomfort kind of melt away a little bit yeah, and recognizing totally. they can do that. Um, and they, they can, they can go to a shop and order something and be transparent about it and get to have a dialogue with a barista and learn something yeah. and not feel judged. Truly. Which I know is a really big barrier for a lot of people and why so many people will choose a Starbucks over a smaller shop because they know what they're doing. Truly. They don't have to worry about judgment. Usually the Starbucks priests is judged too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it's just more comfortable. Yeah. It's like the, <laughs> the planet fitness of, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of coffee places. Yep. Yeah. No judgment here. I love that. Yeah. Coffee yeah. is interesting. So you got into Starbucks or you, you worked at Starbucks mm -hmm. and then, uh, and that was in 2017. And when did you move? So did you go into the banking industry after that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So 2017 through 2020. Um, and then I guess, I don't even remember now. I'm not, I'm, yeah. Mid 2020, okay. like the summer I started working for a bank. Yeah. So that was just because like, I was curious. Yeah. So how was I was working at a bank during COVID? Uh, really, really boring. <laughs> but I think that's just I would just say that's probably the case for banks at any point. Oh yeah. It at least for me. I I've talked at length with people about the reasons I'm not somebody who would want. Knowing what it's like now, I would never be drawn to work at a bank. Hmm. I shouldn't say never, but the man that I am right now and the values that I hold and the things that I want out of life, banking does not interest me at all. Totally. Um, me and my friend Jordan, who was episode 17 of this, he and I talked a lot about that. Okay. Because he and his wife are full-time photographers. They travel a lot. They shoot a lot of weddings. They... Um, are very adventurous and have chosen that lifestyle intentionally hmm. um, and recognize that that does mean giving up certain things that some of us are trying to pursue when we go into a career like banking. Yeah. Uh, there's a certain feeling of stability or consistency or yes. safety associated with it, and that can be a draw. My, I, I was purely curious. I thought I've just had like a really annoying day as a Starbucks barista and I probably smell like syrup and milk right now. 
and I'm gonna just apply for a bank job because I know somebody who works for this company and every time I've been in a bank, the few times in my life I've been in a bank, I'll look at the people, the tellers, and in their like dress clothes and whatever, yeah. and think, I wonder what that's like standing behind that counter, yeah, handling money or whatever it is, typing on computers. And I found out what it was like, and it's really boring. Yeah, yeah. My mom worked at a bank. Yeah, like pretty much, uh, pretty much my my entire childhood until I was about sixteen, and mm. so. A lot of my Saturday mornings were spent in the bank, in wow. one of the side rooms, like, because a lot of, or at least that bank wasn't open inside on Saturday mornings. And so it was like, I kind of was just inside the bank, just like playing with toys or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, I remember one, like every once in a while, like my mom would, she would be like going into that room to like count money or whatever. And they have the, you know, the cool like rotary money counter that just kind of like yeah. feeds it through super quick and uh -huh. counts it. My mom, like, she would let me, like, put it in there sometimes and, like, watch it. And I was like, holy crap. Like, I just held so much money. And yeah. I had no <laughs> idea what that meant when I was, like, nine. But, uh -huh. uh, but yeah, that was that was always fun. Yeah. So we, we haven't touched much. We did early on. We talked kind of right off the bat about faith and God and that sort yes. of thing. We can dig into that a little bit more now. I'm curious about, like... Your upbringing in that, was that a part of how you were raised or did you take that on independently later? Yeah, it was, that was how I was raised. Um, I was, uh, I mean, I, I, so I like accepted, I accepted Christ when I was six. Um, and that was kind of what I always grew up with. My mom was, uh, my mom and dad went to a church in Fort Smith. Um, and that was a church I went to my whole life until, until college and now. Um, and honestly, it molded me and shaped me quite a bit. And I'm very thankful for that. But um, that was definitely the upbringing I had. The church I had was so unique in a lot of ways because it was like a church of about 150 to 200. And it was a non-denominational non-denominational church, but, uh, it was kind of started by people who were like, the, the reason we want to start this is just because we, not because they couldn't agree on anything. It was more of like, we all just have such different backgrounds that we think this would be just a great option and like something new. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this was also, the church was started, I want to say in, uh, probably the nineties. And, there, I mean, it's it's just cool. Like uh, all the people I've, they're kind of like my, my, honestly, like my family. Um, a lot of the older couples in the church just kind of like helped me grow up, and like my my dad passed away when I was nine, and uh, he also had a lot of health problems. So I kind of I had a dad that was there, but he I never really had like uh, like he had a stroke before I was born, and so I didn't really have like conversation with him like. Hmm. words here and there a lot of his I knew that my dad loved me based on a lot of like physical affection and uh the, like I honestly this is just such a gift but I vividly remember like my dad I remember looking at him I remember the way that he looked at me like how he like just like how his arm hair felt like weird details mm -hmm. that are that sound a little goofy but are also like such a blessing and yeah I'm thankful for so anyway 
um, a lot of people in my church like kind of fathered me or parented me um, through my life alongside my mom, which was really cool. And uh, I'm very thankful for that. Okay. So you had a good church experience. Great church experience. Yes. That's good. From what I've been hearing lately, that is few and far between from for a lot of people. Yeah, it is. I think it's probably very common too. I would imagine just based on like, I don't know about statistics, so I don't want to use the word statistical, but I would imagine living in an area where there's more churches, you have a greater likelihood of having a bad experience with church. Totally. So growing up in the Bible Belt, I would imagine... Um, there's a lot of people who have had difficult experiences in the church, and I don't even need to imagine it. I, 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 I've interacted with enough people to recognize that. Yeah. I will say I've interacted with more people, though, who have had um, a good experience, especially people closer to my age. Um, I think there, there's definitely in this area a lot of young energy in the uh, Christian church because there's a lot of young people in this area and there's a lot of churches. And so you Mm. get a blending of those two things. And I think it's really helpful. Like you can't go into a coffee shop here without seeing somebody reading their Bible. Truly. Which was really nice for me. Um, being raised also in a Christian environment, but not really having much community around it and not also just not really having many friends, not knowing how to make friends. It was encouraging even before I was someone who would interact. It was encouraging to be able to go into a shop and sit down and look around and there's like multiple Bible studies happening. Yeah. Especially in a place like Mama Carmen's, for instance. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's been cool for me, honestly, that to have uh, an area like this that honestly I think is fairly welcoming and good about um, drawing people in. I think there's really incredible community in this area generally, and I've personally been really blessed by that in, in it, enough to make me feel sad for those who, for whom that is a foreign concept, yes. for whom family outside of your actual blood relatives is not, um, it doesn't look the way it does for me. I mm-hmm. could, without even having to pause and think, name close to a dozen people who I could go to to tell anything. Um, even given that most of my community right now has been built in the last year. Um, Being in the church community I'm in right now for only just over a year, um, that's kind of something it's related to something I was mentioning earlier about people having a certain view of what you look like in your 20s versus your 30s or having a certain view of getting married young Um, I think it's unfortunate that a lot of people are not used to being around people who are grown up 
even at 22. Yeah. But I've, I've been really blessed by being in a community that looks like that where that's normal. Yeah. Yeah, I do agree. Um, I think that's a really good point just about the, I've, I've heard it put as a church hurt being the verbiage. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I mean, I really do agree. Like the, there is great community. It's a, it's a welcoming area in in a lot of aspects like there's just the culture of northwest arkansas is really cool there's a lot of niche environments to get involved in like yeah obviously biking is one of those things like uh-huh. I, I mean part of airships culture is like people riding their bikes yeah to, really to it especially with the new Kohler location and that's mm-hmm. out in the woods it's, it's just cool like it's uh i mean there's a lot of very cool things to get involved in and church is definitely one of those things. Like if that's, you know, like something that, I don't know, it, it's frustrating that people have had bad experiences with it, but also like it is what it is. You know, the church is broken and mm-hmm. people are broken and uh, pretty much any anything you're going to get involved in, you're going to have broken people interacting with broken people. Yeah. And you may or may not get hurt by that. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, it's part of getting people together in any kind of community context truly the more people you put in a room the more problems are going to show up yeah that was there for you a much shift in what your faith life looked like from your upbringing to becoming an adult maybe moving out and just processing things outside of a family context yeah definitely um when I was growing up, I, I think uh, I think a lot of people can relate to this when they were young in their faith um, and trying to figure out how to study the Bible and to create good um, rhythms of being in prayer and being in the Word and and just all all these things. I struggled with the consistency and the discipline of reading the Bible every day and reading, um, that was always a tough one because it was just like, I remember when I would go to youth group or I remember having a lot of conviction as a kid of like, these are things that I need to do, but, but lacking discipline to carry it out. And it, uh, you know, growing up in church, like, when I was at church, I was like, I agree with what they're saying. And I don't always under understand all of it, but I agree with what they're saying. And I like felt the conviction and I like knew that that was, I knew, I knew it was the truth. Um, it was, and I think that's truly just been one of the gifts from the Lord in my life personally is like, um, not, not having to wrestle with the, like the Bible being the truth. Um, and I know that that is kind of like one of the foundations of the faith is like, you know, you're, you're going to struggle a lot if you don't believe this is true. Like it, the, the chosen Messiah says, this is the truth. So you need to believe that and have faith in that. But, and that's hard to do for a lot of people. And that was something I didn't really have to struggle with, which is a blessing. Um, so when that really started to become different, 
of a struggle. It was probably in high school when I was around 17 or 18, I started to be more consistent in that, but struggled to do still with the consistency of it. Like if they're like, Hey, read your Bible three times a week. I'd do it maybe once or twice. Um, and even then it just felt like a chore. And I was like, I know that I need to do this, but why is it so boring? Like I hate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, you know, um, and then, but in college was the big transformation for me. Freshman year, I got involved with an organization called uh, BCM, which is Baptist Collegiate Ministry. And, or it used to be BSM, Baptist Student Ministry, back in the day. And uh, that really, like, there's a discipleship is a big thing there. And they're really good about establishing disciplines. And so that's when I got consistent. But I noticed a difference, and this kind of goes back to the hometown conversation, when I would go home for summer. During the year, I would I had a really good rhythm of consistency, and it got a lot better at reading majority of the time. Uh, I, I was reading four, four times a week consistently, sometimes five or six. And then that just progressed throughout my years at college. And it started to become more me pursuing the Lord rather than like, doing this out of discipline, um, which there's still an aspect of that in there. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but there's a, it's, I almost have like three testimonies, you know, of just differences, but it really, college was when it kicked off fresh and, and there was just growth gradually every year. Uh, the summers were always tough. Um, and even one of the bigger pieces of my almost like my second testimony um, is because of a really tough summer that kind of brought me into this like huge season of blessing, which was cool. So summers being when you go back to Van Buren. Yeah. Okay. It was just kind of falling back into that high school mindset of like, Mm -hmm. you know, just first off struggling with sin uh, like habitual sin, like reoccurring sin, you mm-hmm. know, and then also just not having the rhythm of school every day or, yeah. or just people that are uh community, like yeah. your community yeah. is, is kind of dispersed for three months. And mm-hmm. so uh, that was, that was tough. So you don't have a lot of people encouraging you and they're not necessarily like the encouragement comes from presence sometimes. Yeah. Like it doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be, People going, hey man, you're doing a good job. Like I really appreciate that you read five times a week. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot. I could I could talk for a long time about that. So I don't want to. I'll spare that. But a lot mm-hmm. of good things. Yeah. No, rhythms are super important, though. Even even I I'm not somebody who wants to tell people that like rhythms are important. But as you were kind of touching on, if it becomes just about doing it because you know that's the thing you're supposed to do, um, that can be a little misleading at times. Um, I think it's so important to have discipline and to often do things because that's what you're supposed to do. Yes, That's part of, I think, being responsible for yourself and working hard to be the person that you think you should be. Um, and I notice when I'm in those rhythms and I have those things that are 
keeping me in check and keeping me on the path that I know I want to be on. And then I'm thrown into a different environment and I just like fall off the wagon Hmm. because we are not only products of our environment, I think in the long term, but so quickly do we start to take on our environment, whatever it looks like. It's very hard to be the only person swimming upstream. Like you get enough people. Yeah. Think think of you've probably experienced this making like a whirlpool in a pool. Like yeah. you get a b- get group times. of people together. Yeah. You all start swimming in one direction. You lap the pool and you get a swirl going. As soon as one person, if you're the one person who turns around and tries to swim the other way, it's really hard. Yes. <laughs> it's a great workout. But if you can get lots of people on board and start doing that gradually the current changes and goes the other direction yeah when you're in a current that's carrying you in a positive growthful growthful i don't know that yeah you're in a positive environment that's actually building you up and helping you sustain a healthy rhythm yeah if you then jump over to a different environment you're now the only person moving in that current maybe yeah. And it can be really hard to sustain that. It's very hard to, for example, be in an environment where a lot of people are used to gossip and negative speech and to be the person to, to switch that around. Yeah. Like if you're on your own to switch that energy into, no, we, we should talk positively about other people and not gossip. And, and yes. we should actually like work toward building this habit because it's super beneficial. And then maybe people like, pause and there's what are you talking about man yeah and and there's like pushback against that um and it's easier to fall into that pattern yeah if you if you're just in the minority that's that's a hard battle to fight yes so i relate very much to i mean even just very recently having to step out of the environment that I'm in that is very beneficial to me and to those around me and go back into something where a lot of patterns are in place, a lot of rhythms have been built that I think um, are more likely to hold people back than build them up. Yes. But it's hard to go into that current and try to reverse it. Yeah. Do you, do you want to talk briefly about herd mentality? Cause we kind of yeah. briefly mentioned that before we jumped on the podcast and, uh, cause I, I just had a bunch of thoughts like just rushing to my brain about, um, about the herd mentality mm-hmm. of like what a great visual picture the whirlpool is and, but also the negative connotations that go with that because a lot of uh, church culture is, is kind of seen as herd mentality to a lot of people that, have either been burned by the church or have, or just don't really love a lot of church culture and they're kind of like questioning things. Um, because a lot, like a lot of the herd mentality is so good because of the power that community brings to it. Mm-hmm. Community is so helpful. Like we're, we're designed to like live life in community. That's yeah. why, I mean, we see like that's why COVID was so hard. It's because we were having to do everything, not in community. Like we had to do things over, you know, over Zoom and you know Microsoft Teams. Good old Zoom. It was the worst, you know. <laughs> and uh, and it's like yes, we need to be together with people. Uh, so the there's the good aspect 
of herd mentality that's like the community and that can be outside the church as well like there's the community of people just being together and being a part of you know whatever that community looks like to you whether that's uh you know, like you have a group of friends that all play games together, like board games or video games, or you all just, you know, like in a book club or something like that. Like it's, it's really cool to be a part of something, but also at the same time, we have a, we have like two, um, budding cultures, like head budding cultures of, oh man, <laughs> this kid's having a rough day. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you guys can hear that, but. <laughs> Oh man! Um, we record my uh, my home studio is in an apartment, and there's a window. In the, <laughs> there's a window in this room, and you you can hear the outside world at times. This kid is crying. Oh, he's having a rough day. Oh man. Um, he oh. needs some some um, positive positive um members of the herd to yes, sweep him along and into a better day <laughs> totally does wow anyway herd mentality <laughs> yeah so i think we were talking about the community aspect of just kind of any anything that you can get involved in but um and that's really yeah. great but the so the budding culture or yeah. the head budding cultures uh-huh. of we have an individualistic society that also wants to be in community. So what are your thoughts on, oh. on all these things? Man. Um, I, I think, I think that uh, I'm trying to think of a way to, to generalize, but also use a good example. Um, I think the old adage, know thyself is mm. incredibly important. And if you're going to know yourself, who you are, and and what your natural tendencies or your your um, your primary draw or inclination or where your heart is, I think it's really important to be able to get alone and know yourself and ask questions outside of a bunch of people who all have their own answers for you. Mm. Um, I think if if the own if you spend all of your time with a bunch of other people and you don't take time to if, if you let that crowd that herd completely dictate the way that you do things you have now abdicated any power to make change within that group I think everybody has, by virtue of just being uniquely themselves, by being someone different who's had a different life and different experiences, we all have things to add to the environment we're in. And if we surrender all of that, that can be dangerous. Because then we don't have the opportunity to speak something from our experience into that and bring more light to a situation or a group. Conversely, I think it's probably more dangerous often to just be by yourself. Um, If you are not in community, if you don't have a herd, 
which sounds like a bovine joke. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't have a group that you are, a healthy group, mind you, that you are within, holding you in check or mutually encouraging each other in that group, you can go off in whatever direction you want. And if that direction leads off the edge of a cliff, who's going to pull you back if the only voice you're listening to is yourself and you're, yeah. you are on that, that path? So I think it's really more dangerous to be without the community. I think it's really important to have both sides, to have dedicated individual growth that is paired with community and accountability within that. Um, I, for example, in my Christian walk, it's, it's been very important for me to have time to process, um, and be alone and think through things critically and talk to God and ask questions and, but the growth and the changes that have happened and the the real breakthrough of things have been a result of being in community where I can then apply and test things that have been coming up in my heart. Yeah. Because otherwise, I I think it, I can get on a very dangerous path. Um, if you in any area, if you don't have people to correct you in your thinking, even if correction is as simple as bringing up something that maybe you hadn't thought of, another perspective to consider, if you don't have that, crazy things happen. Yeah, like we can look at historical examples of either. Um, like cult behavior or mm. <laughs> um, extreme examples like Nazism. Yeah. Like if, if you have no checks and balances in place to help people go down the right path, if you don't have anybody who can stand up and say, hey, wait a minute, there's something really off about what you're doing. Let's correct. Let's course correct. If you don't have that, you can and probably will go off into some dangerous territory yes uh, but i i agree so as so i agree i think heard the herd mentality of having a group that can move together and have community together is super important um because like you you want one just very simply as humans we are very social we're community yeah. creatures we you want other people around you I don't, I don't want to be the lone wolf, you know, going off trying to do his own thing with nobody to help. Um, the, the time you run into problems is when that herd maybe is not connected to any other herds and can kind of go off and form its own thing. And then if you're in that herd and you are only holding to that herd mentality you run the risk of still going off the cliff because that's where everybody else is going. Yes. And and that's, you know, on the flip side of it, the same danger, but in, uh, in a different scenario, which is yeah. why I think it's important to have both. I think it's really important to be able to process things on an individual level and kind of 
um, like as a Christian, me and God trying to like trying to work things out and wrestle. But if if I don't have if I can't bring that to other people, I run the risk of just carrying on my own thoughts when I think they're God's. Hmm. Yeah. That's really good. It kind of reminds me of what you were saying earlier of like how you don't hold, um, you don't necessarily think that anything that you, you, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but not, you're not always right is kind of what you were getting at and, um, kind of the balance of knowing that you're, you're firm in what you believe at the moment, but also knowing that you could be wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very hard, um, uh, kind of going with that like individualistic culture that I mentioned a second ago of a lot of people want to be heard and a lot of people want to voice their opinions. And one of the better ways that that happens, like I think like podcasts is a great way to just kind of like not necessarily aggressively um, get out your opinions, but you can, you can kind of say what you feel. And mm-hmm. it's just like a, you know, a community is really important for that because you have that openness. But anyway, the, the individual mentality of, wanting to get their point across, it's also very hard to hold to what you believe and then also be willing to consider something different or Mm -hmm. even correction. Um, And I, so I, I just really agree with that. It's, it's tough. It's very tough. Mm -hmm. And especially with social media nowadays, like even the, you know, the format that we're on right now, like it's, it's kind of a form of social media. Like we're able to communicate whatever we want really and do that freely. And also everything that we said could be partially wrong or completely wrong, you know, and we have to hold that with a grain of salt and just go, you know what, Mm -hmm. if someone tells me that I'm being completely this way and it's the opposite of the way I feel about it, like I need to consider that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought up social media. That made me think of like that's taking herd mentality to a whole other extreme. Yeah. Um and I recognize a lot of people will use the phrase herd mentality in a negative context and think about um religious extremism, I think mm. a lot of the time. Yeah. Um but I think unknowingly a lot of people in the social media age are surrendering unknowingly to a herd mentality that has taken over as the primary narrative without going into specifics or saying like this is wrong and this is right and you're wrong because you're just following the herd when you live in a world where the whole world can all communicate at the same time yeah. <laughs> one idea can be shared across the world. If it's wrong, you being the person to say so puts you in a real tough spot. Yes. <laughs> like, we live in a social media world. Somebody can tweet something in, like, Australia. And we know about it here and the whole country might talk about it. Yep. Um, and then the whole world is talking about it. Like everything is known and spread. 
um, or a certain version is spread. So that's, I think, an area where you need to have those smaller communities. You need to have the people who you can have real, open, honest dialogue with because that's where growth and challenge actually happens rather than just just going along with whatever the current primary narrative is. Hmm. And I don't think people are thinking about that. Like, there's been so much push in the world of racial justice recently, and that's great. Yes. That's so important. Um, it's been happening for a while. Um, and w- what we're not... I'm trying to think how to talk about this. I think people don't realize that a lot of the problems that we look back on history and point out were the result of people accepting the narrative that was given to them. And now we live in a time where that is easier than ever to do because whatever narrative is shared quickly becomes if it is the primary narrative it will quickly take the whole world by storm Hmm. because information spreads that way now yeah like that's just something without me trying to point a finger at anything and say this is wrong or this is right or this needs to be adjusted I think we could all do to think more critically about that and recognize we may be in different areas better off than we were at a certain point in history. Um, But we're guaranteed to be getting stuff wrong still. And I'd rather not be at the extreme end of that so that my kids look back at my generation and say, do you see what you did just because... That's what everybody was doing. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's uh that's pretty powerful stuff. I'm I have like a lot of thoughts on <clears throat> just for reasons why that is, you know. Like <clears throat> obviously when I look through my my Christian lens of a lot of issues can be can be solved because like we were created for a certain purpose and we're like, we are created and designed for certain things to happen. Um, like community being one of those things. Like I, I, I was even thinking like, I wonder if this, um, like we just like in some way we live in an extremely lonely generation mm-hmm. of people, like people our age that have grown up with social media their whole life. Or uh, like for me, social media, social media became a thing when I was probably in like fifth or sixth grade. And I yeah. didn't really get involved with it until about eighth grade. Uh-huh. Um, so I know that a lot of people have said that, I've heard it said a lot before, like our culture is very lonely because of social media. Like we're the most connected generation ever, but also the most disconnected. Uh, whether that necessarily mean like we're the most connected digitally but personally we're not very connected right and i i think that there's a lot of truth to that Mm -hmm. Uh, not necessarily uh completely the truth uh in all aspects but uh, i definitely see a lot of that but my thoughts are like i wonder if we live in such a lonely generation that we're as in lonely meaning in this case lack of community 
um, or like a really positive community, like a good community of people that are, um, that are around them and in, like encouraging and, you know, just really challenging them, whether that's negatively or positively, but to be, to, I don't know, to just like grow and try new ideas and things like that. But because of that, I wonder if that's why, like we, in a weird way, we have so many different communities because there are so many different ideas floating out there and people are like, I've had this thought before. I relate to that. Maybe I need to be part of this, like this group or this idea of thinking. Mm -hmm. And we have so many smaller subgroups that aren't even necessarily like, this is like what I truly believe, but this is like what I believe right now. And it's like so separating at the same time. Like, in a weird way, we have so many ideas out there that have kind of formed, like, these little small sub-communities of people that aren't necessarily, like, in actual community with each other. They're just kind of, like, in a group of ideals or similar thoughts or, you know, similar idea. And I'm, I'm not sure how I'm trying to say this, but... We have so many different things that they're, I don't know. It's just like there are some that are more mainstream than others, some that aren't. I don't know. It's just yeah. very interesting stuff. Yeah. I mean, when you have, you do have so many different groups you can be a part of. And maybe you want to be a part of a lot of them. I think it can be hard to invest deeply and deep That's enough it. to understand the pros and cons of that group, too. Um, like guys can probably relate pretty easy to having your hobby group like whatever it is you do maybe you go you golf or you're a skateboarder or snowboarder or you're a photographer and you have your group that gets together because of this hobby this thing um it can be hard to push beyond that and to make it something deeper or something of more substance. And when you have like innumerable of those groups and you can jump into any of them, but without having a deep or convicting or transformative relationship with that community, you maybe just don't have any room for that kind of community hmm. where you've spread your energy. I've spread my energy so thin amongst all these different hobbies and ideas and passions. I'm just going to go home and sleep and continue doing it over. Um, I'm very fortunate that that's not the, the limit of my community that I'm in because most of it is based around actually there's a recognition that we ought to actually know one another and live life together. And then it's not just about the things that we're doing. Um, and, and that I think is super important, but yeah, maybe if, if all you have is hobby groups, yeah, it, it can be hard to actually experience growth or like transformative relationship in those things. Yeah. The depth is lacking. Yeah, probably. Now some of them, maybe not. The case, yeah, but yeah. yeah. It's all very like general yeah. things that I was saying there. 
Yeah, truly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the vulnerability piece is uh, something that I've been pretty passionate about for a long, long time. Uh, and kind of hand-in-hand uh, hand with depth. Of I remember when I got here, and I'm, when I moved here in 2018, I really just wanted to, to meet people that... I mean, obviously, this kind of goes back to the ideologies or similar beliefs that I had. Like, I wanted to meet people that I could relate with in that way and also people that I could be vulnerable with and, like, kind of have, like, share true friendship and true, like, trust and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think that was a really one of the tougher aspects of moving to a new place is it's really hard to to really find like-minded people sometimes if... I don't know. Like it's it just different for each person. For me, that was the case. Um, hard to find like-minded people who I could be very vulnerable with. And like, I was just like, I, now me also too, I've kind of learned to be an open book. I'm, I'm like, I'll tell you my deepest, darkest secrets, you know, like you can, um, I, I don't really mind telling that to people. And, and if they ask for it, I'm like, sure, yeah, I'll tell mm -hmm. you. I'm not just going to, like, go around and just, hey, let me tell you. But, yeah, right. But it, it is – I'm trying to remember where I was going with that. But it can be hard to find oh, other yeah. people yeah. who also are that way. Exactly. And maybe that can be one of the bigger aspects of the having a lot of small groups or a lot of, like, hobby groups per se or for the example – um, but just not a lot of depth or maybe not a lot of people you relate with, even though you all relate over loving to do one thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Man, it's good stuff. For sure. We, I'm sure we could talk a long time about this. We should, we definitely could. Yeah. Just, just for, for time's sake, we're going to start winding down. Cool. Um, because as I want to like bring to attention more often with this show, for anyone listening, this is not about having a conversation that completely covers a person's life and also completely changes everything about the way you think. Hmm. This is me having the incredible opportunity to get to know people better and have a conversation that's hopefully mutually beneficial. Yeah. And hopefully people listening also get to learn something from it and are inspired to talk to other people more like if maybe you're not included or involved with a community that is vulnerable or maybe you are an open book but you don't know who else is i would challenge you to test that and see like go start a conversation with somebody in a coffee shop that's that's how i started out doing yes. stuff. <laughs> like just open up to people and see where you can push those boundaries and where they are. Because I think a lot of us, without like fully jumping down this rabbit hole, because I've talked about it so many times, mm. um, a lot of us perceive the walls or boundaries that people have built as being way farther out than we think. Like I think we can push much further than we're used to mm. and people still be comfortable with it. Uh, but somebody has to take that initiative. So sure. that that's a little bit of an encouragement I like to I want to put out there. Yeah, yeah. But, I can vouch for that. That's how we had a lot of our conversations. Yeah, in coffee shops. Uh huh. Is you asking really good questions? So yeah. Hey, I appreciate that. Um, so we end every episode the same. Okay. But different. So every episode ends with the guests giving a recommendation 
and telling a funny story. Ooh. Or a joke. I, I, no, I leave it there. <laughs> like, I just like to end on laughter. I think okay. that's really fun. That's great. So for, it can be a joke, but I think everybody has funny stories. Hmm. But recommendation comes first, which can be anything. It can be like, I think Kenyan coffees right now are awesome, so you should try, go try Kenyan coffee, or it can be something totally different. Yeah. Um, well, this would be a, more of a general recommendation, but uh, over over the past like two years, I've kind of, or really in the past year, I've become more of a beverage guy. <laughs> a beverage guy. Yeah. Yeah, nice. I'm a yeah. I'm gonna start saying that. Just like, oh yeah, I'm a beverage guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, with the finger guns and everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but that encompasses a lot of things. Like I, I think there are a lot of really interesting cocktails to try out there. There's a lot of really interesting uh, alcohols to try. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a lot of non-alcoholic drinks that are like super weird. And yeah. also super good to drink. So my recommendation would be be willing to try new things. Like my first would definitely be in the coffee scene for sure. Uh-huh. Um, if you are, if you just love that traditional coffee taste, like that burnt, like it does not always burnt, but that kind of just like traditional coffee flavor that, you know, like you get at Waffle House or you get at IHOP or mm-hmm. uh, your local coffee shop or Starbucks or whatever. Like every once in a while, ask ask a barista or ask a friend, like, what are you drinking right now? And and uh, even if it's not necessarily your cup of tea or coffee, <laughs> uh, be willing to try it because you'd be surprised at how often the the what you have in your head of like what you would and wouldn't like you that might change. Uh, that's happened a lot for me. So uh, mm-hmm. be willing to try new things. Because uh, as me personally, being a man of consistency, I'm like, I usually like to stick to what I like. And some of my best experiences, especially in coffee and beers and cocktails, have been someone recommending something like, hey, this doesn't sound good at all, but it tastes incredible. Try it. I'm like, okay, cool. That sounds great. Um, so that's my recommendation. Nice. Yeah. I've heard it said that it's like staying in the realm of food, but also expanding on it. I've heard it said your, how picky you are is directly proportionate to how adventurous you are. And I think that's, that's something worth, worth chewing on. Cause yeah, I mean, just, man, I wholeheartedly agree with that recommendation. Try some new things. Yes. Yeah. I think that's that's like super profound. <laughs> you can yeah. do a whole episode you, yeah, on that. Yeah, man. You can dig into that. <laughs> on the symbolism of it. I also, um, my brother visited recently. A couple of my brothers did. And they brought a peanut butter porter, a beer. Interesting. From, I, I don't remember what the brewery was, but it was, it quickly became one of my favorite beers. So I need to ask him which one it was. Was it super sweet or? Was no, it, just- it was like just the right amount of sort of a peanut buttery sort of sweetness in there mm. but still it was a dark beer Interesting. so kind of chocolatey peanut buttery sort of notes oh, like oh. we got a reese's drink going on yeah <laughs> wow yeah that, that sounds great that was good that was worth trying okay cool yeah yeah uh also if you come to northwest arkansas or are looking to their the beverage industry <laughs> uh is booming here not like yeah I feel like there's a brewery now 
on like everywhere. There's like a brewery like not too far from here. Like core brewing is like right yeah, there. Yeah, right across the street. Um, but really breweries, like there's one that popped up uh, literally like, I think it's like a hundred feet from uh, the apartment complex that I'm about to live in in a few months. Mm. And there's just, they're just all over. So there's tons of places to try new things. And yeah. Um, okay. Now it's funny story. Yeah. Um, this, I have s- the first one that came to mind was it, it's like kind of funny. I'm trying to think if I have a funnier one, uh, one that would be podcast worthy. Yeah. <laughs> but the first one that comes to mind was just me as, as a kid. Um, when I was probably like six, actually, no, I think my mom told me I was four. Um, when I was four, I had, a shout out to the, uh, what was the, the Beyblade Beyblades. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I had, a I plane. didn't just pull that out of the air. By the way, Drew was making the Beyblade motion. So yes. I understood. I did. That would have been super impressive if yes. you just had no, nothing to go on. Right. Um, but yeah, the, it was a Beyblade style, uh, like helicopter that I had and you uh-huh. just kind of like pulled the, the thing, the string or whatever, and it like ripped it or whatever. Yeah. And it just like shot up into the air and yeah, like, fly yeah. around and you'd, I would just like run around the, run around the place and catch it. And, uh, one, one day it was like particularly windy and wasn't thinking about that as a four year old and just let it rip. And, uh, that sounds like code for something else. But <laughs> anyway, my my helicopter flies up and gets blown by the wind, lands on the roof. And I, my mom, I think it's like a Saturday. And what I can remember is I was like, mom, like my, my uh, plane is on the roof. And she was like working and doing some things. And she went and looked at it and she got the broom out and was like trying to swipe it down and she couldn't get it. And, um, and she's like, I'm sorry, honey, we'll just have to wait until the rain Rain gets it down or the wind or something. And I, that was not a good answer for me. I was like, mom, <laughs> obviously I'm not going to wait. Like this is torture to me. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> just so happens that we had like a little, sm- a very small pine tree on the corner, growing on the corner of our house, uh, literally probably within a foot of our house. And um, it provided just enough stability for me to climb it. And so I climbed it, and I was like, I wonder if I can get on the roof. And so I climbed it, I got on the roof, threw down my plane, you know, just like went over to the side of the house, like climbed back down, and I'm, I'm just living my best life, you know, just playing with my, my helicopter again, and my mom comes outside, and she is like, hey, who, who got that down, you know? She's like, "Where? how did this happen? Did the wind blow it down? I was like, no, and little, me, okay, I was a rule follower little kid, and I... You know, I was just super honest, and this got me into like trouble sometimes. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> but uh, I, my mom asked what I did, and I was like, okay. And so, little four-year-old me walks over to the side of the house, shows her exactly how I did it, and she was, I think she was fighting back a little bit of, like being completely impressed, and also just totally 
angry and righteous anger. Yes. And fearfulness at yeah. the same time of being a parent, knowing that your four-year-old just climbed a tree onto the top of your house, could have fallen off and gotten hurt, but didn't. Uh-huh. And just kind of like trying to balance the the stress of that with the impressed, uh, like, oh my gosh, like this kid is doing independent things, yeah. you know? And it, it was, uh, I thought I was just awesome. And my mom did not think that. And she took my plane away from me. Oh. <laughs> and After all that she, work. She took it away from me for like a few days. And I was like, why did I do that? You know, I was like, why did I even tell you? I should have just like not have ever told you anything. But that is fine. Yeah, there we go. That was good. That was good. Dude, thanks for coming on, on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. This is really cool. Coffee growing up, it was it was terrible. I hated it.